the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. It's been a wild ride this week, and I think we can all kind of agree on that. I have uh, been watching and uh, hearing as um, one after another the things that that I've planned, that my family has planned, that my children have planned, uh, all seem to have gone by the wayside. Um, uh, For example, uh, my children, uh, we've been informed that my children's school is closed through the end of March, and I'm sure there's many, many families out there that uh, are facing that situation right now. Um, Fortunately for my family, my wife and I have flexibility with our work. My wife can largely work from home with her firm, and because I am self-employed, I can kind of pick and choose when I decide to work. Um, Our kids are going to somehow going to be doing their their schoolwork and their homework uh, working through Chromebooks through from their school and uh, it's going to be kind of interesting uh, spending a couple of weeks with the kids at home doing their schoolwork and um, kind of not doing much of anything else other than schoolwork and then maybe reading or playing video games and things like that. I feel very um, sad for families that don't have the flexibility we have. I know that there's many, many families out there right now that have no particular way that they can care for their children who've been sent home. Um, like the Archdiocese of San Francisco uh, shut down all of the Catholic schools in Marin, San Mateo, and San Francisco counties. That's about 90 schools. And just in the last uh, day or so, the, the Diocese of San Jose uh, did the same thing with the schools here. Um, all of the, the Catholic high schools here in San Jose have, have all shut down operations. Universities are shutting down classes. Uh, the shows performed in the Center for Performing Arts and then sports games, those all been shut down. The NBA is, is on a break. Uh, NHL is on a break, Major League Baseball is on a break, and uh, uh, even my children who are rehearsing 
a show with the Children's Music Theater San Jose. They're actually doing Godspell, which is a show that I remember uh, watching when it first came out in the theaters many, many years ago. Um, just literally just read a posting indicating that through the end of this month, um, they will be trying to learn music and rehearse the show remotely with the cast not getting together again. I mean, we had a rehearsal last night, and there was probably probably a good uh, 60 or 70 kids there rehearsing all in one big room. And, uh, and now that's not going to be happening, um, at least maybe until April 1st. Uh, April 1st this year might turn out to be truly April Fool's Day, we may find by the end of this month that uh, things are being extended into April. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know that there's anybody that really knows how this is all going to uh, wash out going forward. We can be hopeful that what we're dealing with as a nation and as a world will uh, will burn itself out um, in the next month or two and maybe completely be gone by the time we reach the the warmer summer months and the warmer parts of spring here in California, for example. But in the meantime, um, this is certainly unprecedented in my lifetime. I can't remember. um, um, I mean, I'm thinking back to when we had um, the last national emergency for for an illness, which was the swine flu, as I recall, back in 2009. And um, something that's different this time around that's kind of surprising to me, and I'm trying to figure out just why that is, and everyone may have their opinions, but I don't recall that back then that sporting events and concerts and theatrical performances and... and uh, and uh, schools and all this were all shut throughout the country when we dealt with that particular medical emergency that that ended up with several thousand people dying and hundreds of thousands of people hospitalized. Let's hope we don't have anywhere near that situation with with the current uh, COVID-19 that we're we're dealing with, the coronavirus. And that um, we can get the country and the world back on track pretty quickly. Um, we have, I was happy to see that that resources are being um, diverted immediately to to help business, to help people who are, uh, who can't go to work now. Um, I can tell you here in the South Bay, where I live in San Jose, coming into my office this morning, um, during rush hour, the freeway was at the limit. I don't think I've seen traffic this light during a rush hour since maybe 25 or 30 years ago before we had most of the big tech companies here in the Santa Clara Valley. Um, now, for my own practice, those of you, uh, you should know, um, I had I had scheduled to have two seminars in my office um, a week from tomorrow. That's uh, on March 21st, and I just made the decision before going on the air here that I'm going to cancel those seminars and kind of wait and see when it makes sense to do them, probably 
in April. I'm doing that because I would have a large group here, but because my seminars are done in office space in my office, that's a fairly confined space, and there's not really the ability for people to spread out and keep a a reasonable distance from each other uh, as a preventative measure. So uh, if you are considering coming to one of my seminars, just be aware uh, after the show, I'm going to be uh, going into my my seminar site, and I'm going to be taking those seminars down and notifying the people who have already signed up that I'm canceling the seminars for now. Probably be back in April. Um, I know I do have a seminar I'm doing at a company that is scheduled now for uh, March 25th in the middle of the day, and I think I need to find out whether or not they still want that to go forward or not because it's supposed to have about 70 employees of this company in a meeting room for me to do a presentation on estate planning. And something tells me it may be that that company has already decided to shut down and send everybody home. So this is an interesting time we're in here. There's no doubt about it. Um, What I can pass on is... What everyone's passing on, wash your hands frequently, keep distance from people. If you touch hard surfaces, make sure to sanitize your hands afterwards. Sanitize your hands before you reach up and and uh, touch your eyes, touch your mouth. If we all do this and we become very mindful about what we're doing, then we have a greater chance as a country and uh, especially in individual areas in the country, to minimize the spread of this disease and hopefully uh, minimize the impact it's going to have on our families, our economy, and our daily lives. So we're coming up on the first break of the show today. When we come back, I'm going to uh, continue on with my usual format. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. Well, I spent the first segment of the show today kind of talking about um, how our lives have been upended by um, by COVID-19 and the, the caused by the coronavirus. And um, I think this would be a good time to kind of address some things that uh, those of you out there can do uh, right now, uh, kind of immediately to at least provide some some protection for uh, for families and for you. Uh, from an estate planning standpoint. Um, Studies have shown for many, many years that here in the United States, as a general rule, and this actually goes back to when I first started practicing law, uh, back when, as I joke, back when Moses and I went to law school together. Uh, But what we're talking about is um, about two-thirds of the country don't do any kind of estate planning at all, uh, meaning they don't do a will, they don't do a power of attorney, they don't do an advanced health care directive, and they certainly don't do something like 
like a living trust to hold their property. And what this means that out of those two-thirds of the country that don't do anything, um, a large percentage of them actually have property, have assets, have things that they want to uh, pass on to people. But they end up going through the probate process or become incapacitated and then they're kind of forced into the situation of having to go to court and get a conservatorship for... um, Uh, get a conservatorship uh, in order for someone to handle their finances, file their tax returns, handle their investments, access funds in retirement plans if monies are needed for the person, and also to to make medical and health care decisions. I see many, many situations where families come in to see me and and it turns out that, that nothing was ever done and we maybe have to end up doing a probate after someone's died, or a family's looking at having to do a conservatorship for an adult family member because there's no planning in place at all. I don't handle conservatorships myself. I refer them to a colleague of mine here in San Jose who does them all the time. But I can tell you that they're not cheap. Uh, Here in Santa Clara County, uh, the most recent numbers I've seen is somewhere uh, it could be upwards of um, eight to twelve thousand dollars to establish a conservatorship in the first place, between attorneys' fees and court investigators' fees and filing fees and accounting fees and all this kind of thing, and that's for an uncontested conservatorship. I mean, there's no one that's going in and complaining. That, you know, well, my brother John shouldn't be mom's conservator, it should be me, or it should be my sister Jane. That's an uncontested matter. So what I'm going to suggest to you all right now is that if you don't have even a simple will, have a will done so at least your wishes can be can be noted. You can get the California statutory will at the website for the State Bar of California, which is uh, calbar, C-A-L-B-A-R dot C-A dot gov, G-O-V. If you go there, you can actually search for statutory will and you can download it right from the website. Fill that out, sign it, date it, have it witnessed by a couple of friends or neighbors, and you at least have a simple will in place that could be used Um, to at least have your property distributed. It may have to go through probate anyway, but at least your wishes are known. Second thing, get an advanced health care directive. You can pick up um, a statutory form advanced health care directive pretty much at the business office of any hospital. They're going to have it. I would recommend instead, because often the ones at hospitals are out of date, or their photocopies of photocopies of photocopies, which means they can barely be read at all. Um, go online, search for Statutory Advance Healthcare Directive, California, and you'll be able to find a lot of different places where you can download that form, fill it out, name one or more people to be your healthcare agents, and then have it signed and notarized 
or signed and witnessed, depending on what the particular form you download has as an option. That way you now have somebody that can make medical and healthcare decisions for you if you're unable to make them for yourself. Um, it's freely available. It's not necessarily the best version of an advanced healthcare directive. I custom draft the ones for my clients so that they're much more specific about what wishes are and actions to take or not take dealing with someone's health care issues. But uh, having the statutory form is much better than having no form at all. Um, because in there, you, you can at least give some guidance to your health care agents and some guidance to your doctors if your health care agents are no longer available to speak for you. The next thing is to get a financial power of attorney, what we call a durable power of attorney for finances. Uh, we also have a California statutory form for that. If you go on to the Internet and search for statutory form power of attorney, California, you'll find all kinds of places where you can download the statutory form, fill it out, date it, sign it, have it notarized, uh, and you have the same thing. You have something in place. Now, what I will say, the statutory form doesn't give a lot of information about what the powers are to to determine what powers you're actually granting, you have to look into the probate code uh, in the 4000 series of the probate code. But in the form itself, if you want to give complete authority to someone to act on behalf of your financial matters, um, don't bother initialing all the different choices that they have. Drop to the bottom to line N, as in Nancy, and initial that line. And that will grant all of the powers noted above. I would caution, I've seen someone use this form, fill it out, date it, sign it, have it notarized, but they never initialed any powers on the first page of the form. And that means that the power of attorney is basically completely useless if you don't initial any powers on the front of the form. So coming up on the midpoint of the show today, after the break, I'm going to go back into my usual format, which is questions and comments from around the state of California. I have a number of them that I've set aside and I'm going to cover. Um, I'm not going to be taking calls on the show today because I don't know that I'm really up for it today, uh, trying to process everything that's going on here. But I do want to pass on good information to all of you, and uh, hopefully you'll continue listening there's a possibility that I will have shows put on the air in the next few weeks that are prior shows because the station may have station personnel uh, that are ill and cannot come in. So just be aware of that. I may not be live over the next few weeks. That's a possibility. Talk with you after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Well, continuing on with my usual format on this show, I'm going to uh, go to questions and comments from around the state of California. And, and what I do, if you've never listened to the show before, I go through uh, situations that families, actual situations that families are facing throughout the state 
I kind of summarize the situation and then I give my response or my commentary on what the issues are and what people uh, might do in a situation like this. Um, I do this because um, you may be facing a situation like this yourself and or this might trigger something. Oh, I had no idea that was an issue. Maybe we need to address that and uh, and take care of things now before they get out of get out of hand in the future. Now, here's a here's a situation. This person has a chronic illness that could um, cause their death. In the event anything happens, uh, the person wants their son to go to um, to uh, the mother, um, to his mom, rather, um, the son's uh, grandmother. Um, mom said, I need to make a living will stating that, but how? Well, it's not really a living will. Let me Let me explain what a living will is. It's not a living trust. A living will is another ter- legal term for something called an, ad- uh, an advanced um, directive to physicians. It's actually part of the advanced health care directive I talked about before the break. And um, it's a directive to physicians that tells doctors what your wishes are, uh, typically what your end-of-life wishes are if you're terminally ill or something similar to that. So, uh, but naming who you want your child to go to, that's something you would do in a nomination of guardian. Uh, or you would do it in a will where you have a nomination of guardian within the will. It can be done in someone's will. It can be done as a separate standalone document. Uh, the former would t- typically be used if the person died and their will was admitted to probate. Uh, The latter would typically be used if there is no will or or you don't need to go through probate. Maybe someone has a trust that owns all their property and then a nomination of guardian. Uh, So that would be the important thing. Now, if this person, if this son of the person has another parent, then there's the issue of does that other parent have the right to immediate custody of the son, or has their right as a parent been terminated by a court, uh, by court action, so they don't have any legal right to automatically um, have custody of the son? That's a family law question, but it's one of those questions that actually bleeds into and impacts estate planning. So someone should have a a nomination of guardian naming who they want to be the guardian for their child or children. Even if there's another spouse, like an ex-spouse or someone you weren't married with, but they are the parent, still you can do the nomination of guardian. That other person may end up not being alive. They may be incapacitated or they may be determined at some point to be unfit as a parent, in which case you have indicated who you wish to raise to raise your child. Okay, um, here's here's one that uh, I might be treading on thin ice right here. Can I sue the attorney that drafted my mother's estate plan? Well, kind of as a general rule, you can't unless you could absolutely prove that you, as a beneficiary of a parent's estate plan, um, 
were very specifically being planned for, and the attorney was planning with that in mind and uh, did not follow through what, with the wishes, and, and, and as a result, you were damaged in some way financially. In this case, this person said, my mother had two homes she included in a trust. She left both properties to her children and a portion of each property to her grandchildren. Now we cannot qualify for the parent-child tax exemption on the property. Is this considered malpractice? Well, first of all, the parent-child tax exemption, what they're talking about in this question is the property tax reassessment exclusion that's available for the transfer of real estate in the state of California between a parent and a child. And that will be excluded from reassessment of the property taxes to the extent that the interest in property passes to a child from a parent. So here it says a portion of each property went to grandchildren. So let's say 10% of each property went to grandchildren. That would mean that 90% of the property going to the children would be excluded or exempt from reassessment as a general rule. The 10% going to the grandchildren would be reassessed. It's not true that the parent-child tax exemption from reassessment, that they can't qualify for it. Actually, they can qualify for it to the percentage interest actually transferred from the parent to the child. So it's not as bleak as people seem to think. Um, That's why uh, someone like that talking to an estate planning attorney or even a a real estate attorney uh, could find out the, the answer as I just related to you now. Okay, here's one. How do I, the trustee of a revocable living trust, go about accessing the equity in a home owned by the trust? says, Grandma passed away in 2014. She had a living trust set up with me as the successor trustee the year prior to her death. I've been living in the house since 2015. Let's put a pause on right there. This person's been living in Grandma's house uh, since after Grandma died. So the question in my mind is, okay, um, does that mean that Grandma left the house to you in her trust? Let's assume that's the case. So this person said, I attempted to establish a HELOC, which is Home Equity Line of Credit, at my local credit union. Underwriting, that's people who decide the loans, denied my claim, stating my name was not on the deed or title of the house. They seem to be a little confused themselves. I'm sure they weren't confused. Uh, If Grandma was on the title of the house and then she died, she's still on the title to the house. And this person as successor trustee, they don't automatically go on the title to a house just because the original owner has died. You have to take some steps to clear Grandma's name off the title, typically an affidavit of change of trustee, The reason for the change being that Grandma died, so a certified copy of the death certificate for Grandma would be attached to that affidavit. And then the uh, grandson or granddaughter, as the case may be, would also go on the title as the trustee. But unless this trust was set up to continue on, 
it probably cannot continue on in this way. The, the trust has to be implemented, probably the property distributed out to the grandchild. So the grandchild now owns the property and then they can get a home equity line as the actual owner of the property. So this is a pretty easy fix. Um, what the problem, though, this person might be facing is it says grandma passed away, which implies that it's a grandparent to grandchild transfer. And the rule there for property tax reassessment is that will be excluded from reassessment as a general rule, as long as the grandchild's parent, who was grandma's child, was deceased when grandma died. And the other parent of the grandchild, the son or daughter-in-law, was also deceased or was divorced from the child who was the child of the grandparent um, or was married at the time that the child of the, of the grandparent died but has remarried in the meantime. In those cases, it would be a grandparent to grandchild exclusion from reassessment. But if that didn't happen, then this person, once they clear the title and everything and let the county know this happened, they're probably looking at a 100% reassessment of that property. And because it's been six years since grandma died, they're going to get a supplemental property tax bill and they're going to owe all of the back property taxes for six years with penalties and interest tacked on. This is this is a could be a serious problem for this person. Getting a home equity line is the least of your your difficulties here. They may be looking at serious property taxes going up because of the failure to properly administer grandma's trust six years ago when grandma tried uh, grandma died. So I suggest to any of you out there, if you're doing this, go to an estate planning attorney that handles trust administration right away. You could be setting up a serious problem for yourself, a serious tax issue for yourself because you haven't properly administered the trust after someone has died. Don't assume that because the property's going to you that you can just move in and live there and you don't have to do anything. Um, that kind of thing has, has bitten more people in the posterior or the back of your front than people can possibly imagine. All right, well, we're coming up on the end of this segment of the show. When we come back after the break, I'll be continuing and finishing out the show with a few more of these questions and comments from around the state of California. I hope the show has been informative with you uh, for you so far. And when we come back after the break, I'll continue with more questions and comments. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And I hope you join me for the final segment of the show in a few minutes. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman.
Hi, welcome back. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, and I'm here for the last segment of the show today. Apologize for not jumping in right away. I had to make a, a little uh, pit stop at the little lawyer's room, and I don't need to elaborate much more than that. Okay, um, I'm going to cover a few more things today before we close out for the day. Uh, first of all, we'll start with uh, uh, a few more things. This is out of Los Angeles. Uh, it says, my dad has a house with a reverse mortgage. My brother and I are beneficiaries. He's transferred the deed into a trust with a notary. We've not recorded it because we're concerned it will affect the reverse mortgage. Does it have to be recorded to be valid? I'm just going to address that specific question. In the state of California, uh, unlike many other states, uh, we have what's called a, um, in order to have a valid transfer of real estate by deed, we have what's, uh, what's, called a, what's called a delivery state, meaning that if someone executes a deed to transfer an interest in real estate and then delivers the deed to the ultimate owner of the property, then that is considered a completed transfer under California law. And what, by that I mean that it, the deed does not have to be recorded to have an actual transfer of the title of property. Now, that being said, if the deed is not recorded, then um, and then another deed is made and recorded, the later deed that is actually recorded will will beat the earlier deed that was signed but never recorded. So the better practice is to record a deed once it's been signed. However, the transfer legally takes place when the deed is delivered to the new owner or when the deed is recorded, whichever occurs first. So so the so it doesn't have to be recorded to be valid. However, if you hold on to a deed and you don't record it until after somebody has died, that uh, that becomes sometimes questionable. Title companies might take issue with that, ensuring the title of the property. Uh, there was a practice many years ago of what we called a pocket deed, which means that people would sign a deed into their trust, but then it would just be held on to by somebody and then recorded after they died in order to transfer the title. The problem with that is a deed that's kind of being held on by somebody, it can be lost, it could be misplaced, it could be accidentally destroyed, it could be intentionally destroyed. Any number of things like that could happen, which means that the transfer actually, there's no proof that the transfer took place. Um, so it's it's something to really, really consider um, holding on to something and not recording it right away. I won't address the issue of the reverse mortgage because that's a whole separate question. Okay, here the settlor to a living trust has died, and I, as the beneficiary, believe that the successor trustee is not faithfully executing the disposition of the trust assets. What kind of legal resource recourse can I take to claim my inheritance? Well, if you believe the trustee is not executing the trust according to what they're supposed to be doing, uh, you can certainly demand that they provide an accounting. That's something a trustee has to do at least once a year. A trust could provide more frequently than that. 
And if you really believe that they that they're not doing their job, you can always take the trustee to court and tell the court what's what's going on, what you've experienced, what you've requested and haven't gotten and kind of put the trustee in the position where they have to justify what they're doing and they actually have to um, take steps to to uh, prove that they're acting properly. If a trustee is determined to not be acting properly in a situation like that, well, then what happens is uh, the court may remove the trustee, put a different trustee in place. If the trustee was engaged in... Um, illegal or activities or activities in violation of the trust. The trustee could be uh, sanctioned, could have um, monetary losses charged against them. All kinds of things can happen if a trustee doesn't do a good job. I kind of suggest to people, before you agree to be a trustee, be aware it's a serious job. It's not something to be taken lightly. And uh, if you don't have anybody in your family that you feel is competent to do that, then seriously consider going outside of your family, maybe even talking with and engaging a professional to be your successor trustee or even a corporate uh, trustee like a bank or trust company. So, ladies, uh, ladies, gentlemen, everyone else listening, um, I'm winding up the show today. Uh, I just want to reiterate we're in trying times now. Help each other out. Help out your elderly neighbors. See if you can help them. If you're elderly yourself, try to avoid crowds. Avoid contact with people unless you absolutely have to. Wash your hands frequently. Carry around hand sanitizer. Sanitize hard surfaces. Just take care of yourself. So until next Friday, assuming I'm live on the air, we'll see. Uh, This is Attorney Bob Bergman, and we'll talk with you next week. Goodbye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.